Welcome to On the Mark, a podcast series that explores the effect on various businesses on the COVID pandemic and how companies have managed to survive and thrive during these difficult times and beyond. I am your host, Howard Mark Rubin, and this podcast series came as a result of my realization as a corporate lawyer at the law firm of Getz Fitzpatrick, representing a diverse amount of businesses in various industries, that this pandemic has permanently changed the way so many businesses are doing business now and in the future. It has such a diverse effect on the industries and the people who work in those industries that I felt it was important to address what is the reality, what is the fiction, and what the future holds in these different industries. Today, we're going to be exploring the online gambling industry, and we have uh, two super guests who I'm going to uh, introduce in a minute. But first, I want to uh, say a word about our sponsor. Sponsoring the series of, spot, of podcasts is the Strategic Forum, which was founded in 1999 in New York City and expanded in 2004 to South Florida. It's an organization consisting of CEOs, entrepreneurs, and business leaders who believe in forming deep business and personal relationships based on mutual respect and trust and continual learning and intellectual enrichment. Current membership of the Strategic Forum represents a diverse group from public and private businesses and organizations. Okay, like today we have, it should be an exciting uh, podcast, with two of the leaders in the online gambling space. We have Robert Davidman. Robert has had more than 20 years of marketing and management experience with a strong focus on gaming, digital and mobile, and social technologies. Robert's Areas of expertise include online casino and sports betting, broadcasting and digital media, corporate uh, strategy development, and marketing planning and strategies. Over the years, Robert has developed and delivered strategies for a wide range of companies, including BWIN.Party, Digital Entertainment, 888 Holdings, HBO, uh, Broadcast.com, and Yahoo. As a digital pioneer, Robert advises startups and established digital companies and holds several board seats. In 2019, Robert co-founded Slapshop Media, which operates Canadian online casino and sportsbook and spreads. Robert leads the, at spreads, Robert leads the overall strategy for product and brands and has helped grow the business across the country. We also have uh, Bill Squadron. Bill has been an executive government official and an attorney in the sports media technology and data fields for more than 25 years and is currently an assistant professor of sports management at Elon University and senior advisor to Permania Labs, a sports data uh, AI company. From 2016 to 2020, Bill served as special counsel to Genius Sports, a global leader in data, analytic, and betting services. Prior to his role at Genius Sports, he served as president of Bloomberg Sports, which created groundbreaking data and analytic products for multiple sports, both in the U.S. and internationally. Bloomberg Sports was named by Sports Pro Magazine in 2014 as one of the top 50 companies shaping sports globally, and by Fast Company Magazine 2011 as one of the most innovative company in sports. Well, welcome to both of you, gentlemen. I'm glad we're uh, you're here to discuss this with us. Thank you, Howard. Happy to be here. Yes, thank you. Okay, so the first question I'd want to uh, ask both of you is, as it relates to the online gaming industry, the last year and a half, what surprised you uh, in in how things have developed or how things have, have gone? Uh, Bill, why don't you t- give me your impressions first? 
Sure. Well, uh, of course, um, when it comes to online sports betting, um, there was a huge impact when everything stopped dead in its tracks uh, in March of 2020, uh, of course, triggered by the NBA's um, immediate cessation of activities and everything sort of followed suit. And for the most part, if there are no sports going on, it's very hard to um, run a business that's based on betting on sports events. So it did not surprise me that the industry itself responded creatively and aggressively to try to figure out how to uh, deal with this sudden cessation of activity. But what did surprise me was that the sport that seemed to grab the attention of American betters was Russian ping pong. And uh, suddenly um, there were um, hour after hour matches being streamed on sports betting sites online of Russian table tennis and millions and millions of dollars being bet by Americans who were looking for things to um, do from uh, the confines of their home, which they couldn't leave. And the thing that seemed to grab them, and by the way, has had enduring appeal, is Russian table tennis. So that's the one thing that really struck me is I would not have predicted that 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 would be the sport that would uh, really grab the attention of American betters. And do you think that actually there, there's Americans that know the names of uh, Russian ping pong players? I mean, I've never. Uh... <laughs> yeah, if you look at the, if you look at if you look at the reports, very quickly uh, wow. the Americans who were interested in this they began to learn the names of uh, all of these very obscure people, and these are not the top. These, by the way, these are not the top table tennis players. This was through a kind of separate league that was not even sanctioned by the International Table Tennis Federation, but Americans very quickly learned who they were following and who they could favor in a various match. So uh, it's pretty amazing the resilience of people when they're looking for opportunities to uh, gamble on sports. That's very funny. Uh, uh, Robert, what what surprised you most uh, in this pandemic in in the online gaming industry? So what surprised me, just in overall online gaming, was the amount of people that gravitated to gamble online. And not, you know, obviously sports, and Bill talked about it, where sports shut down. However, online casino was alive and well, and actually saw a huge bump when COVID hit and people were locked down because people were looking for their adult entertainment. They couldn't go to the casino, but they wanted to still enjoy the the thrill of being in a casino. So they started to, in the states that were legal, where there is online casino like New Jersey, uh, the numbers went up exponentially uh, in comparison to what they were pre-COVID. You know, playing on what Bill was talking about with uh, table tennis. So I actually saw the, the numbers spike for table tennis, but also for Russian short hockey, which uh, <laughs> if, you've never, if you've never watched Russian short hockey, it's, it's like watching um, little kids playing in uh, hockey in a, in a small rink. There's usually like uh, three or four people you know, per team on the ice. It was, uh, it was quite interesting to watch those <laughs> games. People would bet on that. Uh, however, by and large, what I found was that people that were sports bettors were looking for something to sweat. They were, they were missing out on the games that they liked. So they wanted to sweat the action. 
they needed some sort of action. So any action was action for them. And we saw that through uh, through the, the early days of the pandemic. And then obviously things turned around probably late uh, June when uh, baseball came back and you had, um, you know, late July when, when everything started to come back and you saw basketball and hockey and everything in the bubble. So it was a, it was a very, very interesting year for, for online gaming. What I would also say is that 2020, which was very surprising, was the cyclical nature of the gaming business. Is typically that in the summer, so around this time of year, just after we would see the playoffs and the finals for NBA and, and NHL, the gaming business would typically have a, a very big slowdown because of the summer. Uh, last year, it didn't. Last year, it was thriving throughout the summer, counterintuitive to anything that we've ever seen in the gaming business. So then during the pandemic, there was, uh, would you say that they, there was a, uh, an increase in the, in the revenues to the online gambling, gambling companies? Did, were they actually making more money? I, I don't know if they, I could say they were making more money, but I can tell you that they were making uh, steadier money throughout the pandemic because people were locked inside. They couldn't go anywhere. Because yeah. people couldn't go anywhere, they had this opportunity to, to stay at home and play. And I, and I would agree with Robert uh, on that because um, I don't know if they made more money all, you know, overall. And I suspect from company to company, there were differences. But if you look at the um, amounts that were bet across, you know, each state uh, where it's where it's legal and across the country, there was steady growth throughout the uh, pandemic months. As people became more and more engaged in betting, they didn't have as many things to do. They couldn't be outside their house socializing and so forth. So that if you compare the amount bet in February of 2020, just before things shut down in New Jersey, it was approximately $500 million uh, was bet on sports in New Jersey in February of 2020. If you look at February of 2021, that amount was $740 million. So it had grown considerably um, year, you know, year over year in that month. So uh, I think it's fair to say that, well, it's impossible to say exactly how companies fared because there was obviously you know, a few months there where things stopped almost in their tracks. Um, but the growth was considerable, and I believe that uh, companies figured out uh, ways to sustain themselves and then take advantage of the increase in handle. And and Robert, where do you where do you see the online gaming industry going? Is it going to be uh, as as diverse as it is now, with so many companies entering into the field, or is this going to be? Uh, another form of media and being taken over once it becomes more established by the major media companies uh, who who eventually come into this business? How do you see it growing in the future? Well, there's definitely going to be some sort of consolidation for sure. Um, I think that when you start to look at the types of companies that are out there and they're operating, there's definitely a, a disproportionate amount of revenue going to a you know to, to the 20 percent versus the 80 percent but there's definitely a lot of room for opportunity uh, when you look at sports betting as a whole if you go back to uh 2017 when sports betting was when the PASPA law was repealed 
just on the sports betting side, throughout all the states that are legalized, and and there's been states that that legalized during the pandemic. So uh, District of Columbia, uh, Montana, um, Tennessee, they legalized during the pandemic. And total handle, so handle meaning total bets placed from the time that sports betting was legalized until, you know, relatively recently was about $54 billion. And that's a lot of money that's, that's been bet. Right. And if you think about that, that's just legal sports betting. Think about the illegal markets. Right. And then when you start to think about, okay, well, what state taxes were collected over that 54 billion, it was probably about half a billion dollars in taxes throughout all those states that were collected on that. So that's, it's, it's quite a big number. Uh, three, about three, three and a half, four billion dollars is revenue to the sports books. I mean, that's a lot of money. And that's only the, the tip of the iceberg. I mean, I think you're seeing one of the things that we've seen over the course of the pandemic is that these states have fast tracked legalization of online sports betting because of the pandemic, because people can't go because you see that people are stuck at home and the revenues to the physical casinos have dropped, you know, almost like off a cliff. So Bill, would you, would you say that the, the pandemic has, has accelerated the growth of online betting? And, uh, and another question I want to throw out there to you, uh, the neighborhood bookie, is he in trouble? Is it going to, is it now because it's so accepted? So, so everywhere and it's so easy for people to, to place a bet that uh, illegal gambling is actually going to uh, decrease, at least on on sporting and lottery type of uh, things? Well, that's certainly the goal. But remember that we're in a transition period. Um, You know, I think uh, Robert uh, characterized it uh, fairly by saying we're at the tip of the iceberg, which means that we're looking over the next five to ten years at the Um, explosive growth of a very substantial industry in this country. And uh, much of that will be moving what has been illegal betting, particularly online. I mean, the corner bookmaker, yes, that's true too. It's a little bit of a vestige of the old days. But uh, what happened between the enactment of PASPA, you know, the law that was struck down that's now opened up the sports betting markets in 1992 and today was the um, huge growth of online sports betting with effectively offshore um, companies that were taking bets online from Americans. And that number, nobody knows exactly how much, but it was you know, hundreds of billions of dollars. And that's hopefully going to move, and already has, I think, to some degree, moved into um, the sunlight and where people are betting legally, because they would prefer to bet legally, assuming the product and the service is equal. And that's actually an interesting issue for the states as they consider taxation because the higher the tax rates, the slower it may be to move betting from, um, from you know, illegal uh, bookmakers who don't have to pay those taxes to those who are registered and licensed and are paying taxes. So, you know, to answer your question sort of more briefly, yes, I think it has um, uh, resulted in the growth of the industry, but we are still at the early stages. Um, some of the major states, the largest states, Texas, California, Florida, still have not legalized sports betting. New York, it's still not 
online. So um, as Robert pointed out, you've got over $500 million in state tax revenue that's been collected. That's totally new money in the last three years. And again, that's just the beginning. So we are um, looking at an enormous industry that is just in the early growth stages. And I think rather than having been hampered by the pandemic, I think it's probably accelerated that movement. And, and Robert, let me ask you, I know in the, um, in the cannabis industry, the American companies had problems because um, banks didn't, couldn't or didn't lend money uh, for growth because there wasn't you know, nationwide legalization. Is this an issue that the gaming industry faces and in, in where some states have legalization, some don't, and in funding some of these companies for their growth, uh, there's, a, there's a problem because of that legalization issue? So from, from the standpoint of the banks, the banks code transactions to gaming in a certain way. And there are several banks that don't allow gaming transactions. So in order to fund your account, you can't necessarily use a credit card, for example, from Chase Bank to fund your, your gaming account. However, uh, there are other banks that do allow gaming transactions, and then there's nothing that prevents you from utilizing uh, alternative funding sources such as uh, prepaid cards or uh, doing some sort of ACH directly into a gaming account. It's definitely a, a, a tricky uh, minefield sort of landscape for people. So people are walking through this and, and in real time trying to figure out it, it becomes frustrating for the consumer, especially when you're trying to do these things. Each state has its own regulations. So in New Jersey, for example, when they first uh, launched online gaming in 2013, they required you to put in all of your information, including your entire nine-digit social security number. And that was quite tricky. There were a lot of times where it would fail. Uh, you would have to then utilize your bank. Your banks weren't up to speed with uh, the regulations. So a lot of times you would try to make a deposit and it didn't work. Things are getting better and it's only going to get better over time. But um, it's definitely a, a, a tricky thing. I don't think from the gaming company's perspective about getting funded, I think that there's an opportunity. This is a, a wider opportunity that is uh, that is opened up, unlike the cannabis industry, where it's not federally illegal anymore. Um, cannabis is still federally illegal. It's only legal by state. Right. Um, gambling, on the other hand, is not necessarily federally illegal anymore. It is just uh, it's just been left in the state's hands. And to what Bill was saying, you know, this the the larger states. Um, yesterday, I think. Uh, Ron DeSantis signed into law a gambling bill that gave the Seminole tribe uh, almost a monopoly over sports betting in the state of Florida. But it uh, it really opened up the doors for sports betting, and that's going to be that's the largest state in the nation so far to have legalized sports betting. Mm. So it is coming, and it will be coming to uh, to several other states. Texas, I'm not so sure about. Uh, California is going to be really tough. The the biggest problem is the tribal compacts in a lot of these states. And those are things that you have to kind of overcome. The tribes definitely don't want to give away any of their revenues. So they're very, very hesitant to open the door to online gaming when they have a, really a monopoly over the gaming industries in those states. Right. 
as the um, bill, let me ask you, um, what does all this mean to Atlantic City and, and Las Vegas? What concerns me is that um, while Las Vegas seems to be a destination, it's more than gambling. Atlantic City uh, really isn't, and um, seems to be having, even before the pandemic, substantial problems. Uh, and I'm concerned about the amount of people who are employed in, in the hospitality industry in, in these cities. And online gambling, you don't really need that many people. And uh, are these jobs going to come back? Are people, as online gambling grows, are there going to be jobs for people who uh, have been employed in these industries? What do you think? Well, you know, I think one thing we can look at with respect to New Jersey as a state is that it's really been a leader in this space. I mean, it was, of course, the state that passed a law that then ended up challenging the constitutionality of the federal ban on sports betting, which was the PASPA statute, and they were successful at the Supreme Court. Uh, they have uh, the largest um, amounts that are bet currently um, and re really rival Nevada um, in betting on sports today. Uh, so they've been a real leader in this space. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, reflects, you know, very, very well on, you know, kind of the leadership in that state for wanting to, um, you know, make these services available to their residents and to people traveling into New Jersey. You know, when you talk about Atlantic City, I think that, you know, your reference to Las Vegas is really very pertinent because, Las Vegas um, has become a destination for all kinds of different reasons, you know, that include, of course, people that uh, love to take advantage of casinos there, but it's really, um, you know, a, a kind of variety of factors that appeal to people traveling. And I think that's going to have to be the case for any destination because as things move online and people can do things remotely, uh, they need you know, multiple reasons to uh, spend their money and to travel. And by the way, that's true across the whole sports industry where, you know, you can now sit at home, of course, with your, you know, 62 inch uh, HD screen. And, you know, why hey, would you hey, go we're to talking 80 inches, Bill. Come on, you're out of date. Hey, 80 inches, fine. All right, let's, <laughs> right. let's, let's get 62. Let, let's, let's, go, well, let's go to the full wall, right, yeah, which right. is where we're heading. Right. But, uh, you know, if you talk to people in the industry uh, at teams and at leagues, they worry about, you know, making the live event experience, you know, continually better and more compelling so that people will spend their money and come to the events. So, you know, uh, as the world becomes more digital and more online, there's a need to find ways to, to get people to experience things live. The one thing I would say that's good is I think everybody recognizes, and the pandemic has made us recognize this even more, there is something very valuable in doing things in group settings where you're acting socially and it's exciting and there's energy and so I don't believe that that live activity will ever be replaced by all of our digital capability, but it does put a lot of pressure on whether it's Atlantic City or anywhere to create a destination and an experience that will make people want to come out. And, and Robert, let me ask you something. This is uh, not necessarily a, a position that I agree with, but it's a, a position that's out there. A lot of people feel that uh, gambling is a tax on the poor, that people... Poor people who really can't afford it 
are going out there and making their bets and by having more and more online gambling it's making easy making easier for them to do it i mean i do notice when uh i go buy a lottery ticket when the, the when it's up to a hundred million dollars the uh the amount of people that are buying it uh always increases and i wonder how much and, and they seem to be buying large amounts do you f- feel that the industry itself has more of an obligation to prevent uh, people who can't afford to do this online gambling to, uh, to to kind of tamper what they're doing. So it's a great question. the it's the the responsibility of the gaming operator to leverage any and all techniques that they have to understand responsible gaming. So there's actually technology that can go and take a look at a player's behaviors take a look at uh, you know their their backgrounds and determine if somebody has an issue um, as a as an operator it's really important to watch those customers uh, put limits on them uh, and and talk to them about responsible gaming I think that you know by and large most people are really responsible they use this as a source of entertainment. Gambling is is not a way for somebody to make a living. If you go into a casino and you say, well, I'm going in and I'm going to pay my mortgage for this month and I'm going to buy myself a new home or buy myself a new car, then you're deluded. And most people don't go into the casino thinking that. Yes, there are people who feel that they can you know, make a living doing this and that's far and few. Most people see this as a form of entertainment. So you go into a casino with $100 and you say, that's my $100 of entertainment and I am going to gamble that. Or that's my $1,000 of entertainment. From the perspective of giving people more access, it's like anything else. You know, you can go to the local uh, store and buy a bottle of, of uh, booze, right? Some people have a problem. And those that have a problem, they they need to have the ability to not go in there. So the gaming industry, there's actually four operators. You have the opportunity to opt out. It makes it very easy online for you to opt out. All you have to do is click a button and tell them that you want to opt out. And they will not only ban you from the casino that you opted out from, but every casino, for example, in New Jersey, will then know that you've opted out and every casino will ban you. And you will not be allowed back until at some point you then go back to the gaming commission, the division of gaming enforcement and tell them that you'd like to come back and give them a reason. And then they will look at you and then they will enforce limits and everything else. So it's, it's definitely something that the industry self police polices, but there's also regulations around that with the various uh, gaming enforcement committees from each state. Yeah, and, and and Howard, what I would add to that, I, I agree with that 100%, and um, I think we should recognize that there's going to be a lot of money generated in this space uh, for states and taxation for the companies that are going to be involved in the space, and there is an obligation to recognize that addiction um, does come uh, with a very small percentage, but it's a serious problem for some people, and there should be um, you know, money put aside for and real resources um, for support, counseling, et cetera, for people who uh, unfortunately do become addicted. So I think it's very important. 
Um, but I also think uh, it's very it's very important, as you mentioned earlier about the lottery, that we recognize where this fits in. As as Robert said, it's it's really entertainment, um, and uh, we've had lotteries for quite a few years. And lotteries, if anything, are the most regressive form um, of betting. So uh, it's important to realize where this fits into the overall. Um, spectrum. This isn't new, and states, uh, I think, have had to be um, honest about recognizing even what their lotteries potentially um, are asking people to do over these years. I want to ask you a question that's that's really not so much online, but it, it's always, uh, I found it puzzling. In, in my opinion, uh, Atlantic City has been a, a tremendous failure. It's been a failure for the people who live there. If you go one block in, the poverty is is immense. Uh, the casinos have not done nearly as well. A lot of them are going bankrupt. Um, why do you think Atlantic City has had so many problems when uh, other locations, uh, Foxwoods, uh, Las Vegas has, has adapted? Why has Atlantic City been such so problematic in the uh, gaming industry? Bill, why don't you start with that? Well, you know, I think that um, what what uh, has happened is really a very complicated history. And um, I do believe that uh, when you go back and look at the early days of Atlantic City and um, how it really uh, didn't have a lot of competition at the time and it flourished, uh, a lot of decisions were made. They were economic, they were political. Um, they were not really uh, focused on the community in a lot of respects. And um, you know, you can certainly um, find opportunities probably that were squandered. And then, of course, uh, competition arose. So um, if you think about, um, you know, the fact that Atlantic City had the East Coast landscape sort of to itself for a long time when it came to gambling, and then you had, you know, whether it was Foxwoods or Mohegan Sun or others in the various states uh, materializing as competition, you know, that um, ended up creating real challenges for Atlantic City as well. But it's a very complicated story. It would be great if um, there was a plan to revive it. It's a fantastic area. Um, the beaches are beautiful. It's got so much uh, to offer. It's, um, you know, uh, right in the middle of an area that's hugely populated. Um, but it's going to depend on, um, you know, I think a lot of political and economic factors that you know, simply the um, emergence of online sports betting uh, is not likely to fix. And, and Rob, why do you think that, uh, in my in my words, Atlantic City has been uh, somewhat of a failure? Why, why do you think Atlantic City has been so problematic? Well, I think it's been, well, first of all, let's go back to, uh, you know, May 26, 1978, when resorts first opened up, and it was the first legalized casino in Atlantic City. Um, it was supposed to be the destination that people on the East Coast would go to. It would be closer to home. You can go and gamble. Um, the hope was there. It just never realized its full potential. It's it's definitely a, uh, a poor part of town. It's not necessarily a place that you would want to go and hang out in other than if you're going to hang out inside the casino. A lot of times we would tell people, I would talk to my friends and we would say, well, if we're going to go into Atlantic City, we're staying inside the hotel. We never leave. Uh, when the Borgata opened up several years ago, it was as close as you could get to a Vegas style experience that Atlantic City had seen. 
when none of this really brought kind of the economic uh, impact that they expected to Atlantic City in 2013, when sport, when online casino was legalized, the purpose of the online casino legalization was to help bring a renewed sense of revenue to Atlantic City. So all of these servers, all of the licenses were only granted to people um, that had a license in Atlantic City. So all of the jobs, any job, whether that was the live dealers that they allow. So all of those dealers have to work out of a casino in Atlantic City. All of the studios that do that have to be in, an, in a casino in Atlantic City. So the, the revenues that you get from gambling you know, online have definitely helped a bit for the, the casinos down there and for the industry down there. But it really hasn't brought the kind of traffic to uh, Atlantic City that Vegas has. Vegas is definitely a destination. However, Atlantic City is, you know, the boardwalk is still the boardwalk. It still gets people in the summer. And then you have the Jersey Shore. So it's mm. it's definitely a summertime destination in some parts. And then there's people that are going to go, but it's definitely not the, the year-round destination that Vegas has become. And do you think the online, the expansion of online uh, gambling is going to help or hurt Atlantic City? I think this, the expansion of online is going to only help the, the state. I'm not necessarily sure that the, that the expansion of online is going to help Atlantic City uh, on its own. But it's definitely, a, if you look at New Jersey, New Jersey has done a very, very good job of responsibly expanding online gaming in the state. And they've been a model for not only uh, other states, but other countries. So, for example, in Canada, where gambling is looking like it's going to legislate in Ontario by the end of the year, one of the things that has been suggested is that if you have a license in New Jersey, that you will more than likely get approved for a license in Ontario. And they're using that as the model. So the model that has been set up in New Jersey is definitely one that a lot of other people are looking toward. Mm -hmm. uh, we're coming to the end, but I did want to ask you one uh, final question. Uh, if you had a crystal ball five years from now, how do you think this industry is going to look different than it does today? What is it going to What is it going to look like? Uh, where is it going to be? Uh, Bill, uh, why not throw that to you first? Well, I I would go back to you know Robert's uh, statement about this being the tip of the iceberg. I think we're seeing signs of what the industry will look like, but if you look five years into the future, um, you will see uh, most states, um, if not all, because I think even the most problematic ones, uh, as they see the pressure of neighboring states legalize, are going to do the same thing. Um, you will see a, na a national capability uh, with respect to legal sports betting. You're going to see a big change in fan behavior where it will be commonplace for people watching games either live at a stadium or an arena or sitting at their home on their couch, um, betting, uh, not necessarily play by play, but proposition bets, in-game betting. I mean, as, as we know in the UK where this is a completely mature market, um, over 70% of bets are after a game begins. And there's no reason to think that won't happen here. In fact, with the kind of marketing and 
technology and and so forth we have here, it's likely to um, be even greater. So you are going to see a huge change in the way fans interact with sports. You're going to see the growth of a very substantial industry. I think you will see some consolidation as um, we touched on earlier. I think the biggest question mark is whether there will be any kind of uniformity, whether it's through some sort of uniform state act or interstate compacts, um, because I do think the state-by-state approach is just very inefficient. The NFL would like to see Congress move ahead with a federal um, approach so that you have one system. Uh, As we know, it's very hard to get Washington to do anything, so I don't think that's likely uh, in the foreseeable future. Um, But at some point, one would hope to see some sort of um, consistency so that the industry can not have to come up with 50 different constructs because you have 50 different state regimes. But overall, um, five years from now, you are going to see if, if, if we're looking at in the last three years, um, you know, 50 plus billion dollars bet legally on sports in the next five years, that number is going to be in the multiple hundreds of billions and only growing from there. And, uh, and Robert, what, what, do you, what do you think? What's, what's the landscape going to look like? Is it going to be more companies, less companies? Where, where do you think revenues are going to be in five years from now? What do you think the landscape's going to look like in five years? So I agree with Bill. I think that the, that the revenues are only going to be you know, growing substantially. I think that, that more states are going to legalize. I think that, you know, as states start to see the revenues, I mean, if you look back to 2006, when when uh, UIGA, the Unlawful Internet Gaming Enforcement Act, was passed as part of the Port Security Act, it took away uh, you know, the potential for billions in revenues for the United States. And they all they needed to do, instead of making it illegal, is just you know pass a law to make it legal and tax it, you know, tax everything. I think now they're starting to see that there's there's substantial tax revenues. So a lot of the states that that haven't legalized some form of online gaming are going to in some uh, way, shape, or form. Mostly, we're seeing sports betting is where it's where it's at. Some of the states are then incorporating online gaming. So I think over the next five years, we're going to see some of the states that have only legalized sports betting start to introduce iGaming as well. So you'll see online casino in several states. And I think that the the number of people who gamble are not necessarily going to go up. But what I think is that the number of people who um, who then look to the people who do gamble will start to migrate to online gaming. And it goes back to, to fan engagement. You know, Bill touched on it. Sports has seen a decline, especially when you start looking at younger generations. They're they're not necessarily interacting with the sports the way that the older generations do. And this is a way to really create sort of an excitement to get them involved in-game, which is something that's relatively new to the United States, which is in-game betting, to give them an ability to play along while they're watching. So somebody has a vested interest in the outcome, even if their team's being beat. And even if the game is lopsided, they still have an opportunity to kind of play along with the game and keep a vested interest and be entertained. And it goes back to that last word, which is entertain. This is all entertainment. At the end of the day, that's what this is. It's just another form of entertainment. And you have an entertainment dollar that you've allocated as a a consumer. Um, Some of it is going to go to going out to dinner. Some of it might be going to a movie. 
some of it might be going to going to a casino, whether that's online or in person. But I assume you both agree that uh, there won't be uh, this increase in betting on uh, Russian ping pong. That's that doesn't have a future in American gambling. <laughs> I, I would assume. Uh, you, you know something? I, it's 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 pretty popular, and uh, you never know. But you know something? It's a great point, Howard. And the one thing I will say is, and we've seen this in the UK and other places. Um, if there's not a big NBA game or NFL game or Major League Baseball game at night, people will bet on obscure sports. You know, second division Bulgarian volleyball could become very big here in the U.S. So don't uh, don't discount that. On on that note, I think we'll uh, we'll conclude. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening to the podcast, and I want to thank uh, Bill and, and and Rob for their insights. They're terrific uh, uh, consultants. Uh, in this industry and extremely knowledgeable. Uh, if uh, anyone wants to uh, contact either of them, uh, I suggest they either uh, email uh, at the Strategic Forum, uh, Tony Ann, T-O-N-I-A-N-N-E, at the Strategic Forum.com, or they can call me at Getz Fitzpatrick, that's my law firm, 212-695-8100, extension 334, and I'd be happy to put you in contact with both of them. Gentlemen, thank you again. I think it's been a uh, very informative and uh, an interesting uh, podcast, and hope to speak to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Howard. Appreciate it. Thank you.